And church, let's take our Bibles. Thank you for bringing your Bibles this morning. Let's turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. This is a very interesting passage because it details uh, a number of interactions that Jesus is having uh, with this large crowd that's been following him. And there are a number of different um, things that are going on in terms of his conversations with them and things that he's teaching. And then there's opposition from the Pharisees and those that were against Jesus uh, even at the outset. This is still fairly early in his ministry. So he's kind of just getting started. And um, the curiosity factor really is, is still in play here. There were still a lot of people who were drawn to Jesus, as we'll see in a couple minutes, uh, for the wrong reasons. So, so there's huge crowds. This is kind of the in thing. Um, he's become very well known. Uh, there, are, there are people that are following with the right motives, people that are following with the wrong motives, and people that are following to try to stop him. Um, so Jesus in this passage, uh, John chapter 6, and we're going to kind of overview it this morning before we get to our text, um, Jesus starts to delineate, because there is this crowd, and he, of course, knows the thoughts and intents of their heart. Uh, Jesus starts to delineate uh, some of the um, distinctions about what it meant to be his disciple. And as he does that, it's going to have the effect of kind of weeding out the crowd. Because, again, when you've got people that are there for the wrong reasons and that are seeking things for themselves... That wasn't what Jesus was looking for. He was looking for people that were going to be his disciples, people who were serious about having their lives changed by him. And that's what I want to talk about this morning and, and uh, pray the Holy Spirit will really teach us and that I will get out of the way. But I want to talk this morning about the differentiation between a disciple and a follower. Now, within Christianity over the last 20 to 25 years, there has been a trend uh, to refer to ourselves as followers. And this has even kind of replaced the word Christian because uh, I guess there's a worry that that's not PC or that that's too harsh or whatever. So, so now the new term within Christianity is that, is that we're Christ followers. Now, you say, what's the big deal, Paul? That seems like uh, semantics and, and why are you kind of nitpicking the point? Well, words have meaning. And what these words uh, are, are, are different in is that each has a distinctive meaning that has a distinctive purpose. Now, right now in our culture, the word follow is really important, right? You follow on Pinterest. You follow on, on Instagram. And your validation is how many people are following you. I, I spoke at uh, Christian Life School on Friday and I said, I'm really popular because I have like 14 people who follow me on Instagram. I'm just, I'm rocking it. 14, like I'm going to shoot for 16 by the end of this week. That we're, we're all about how many followers, how many friends do you have on Facebook? How many people liked your post? And, and that now has become kind of the status issue. Certain people brag, celebrities brag, they have a million followers on, on Twitter or whatever they're on that week. But, but in following, there's no real level of commitment, right? If you don't like what the person's posting or you, you get irritated what what they're saying, you just do what? You unfollow. And we, we do that in a way that they don't really know. Like, I'm just going gonna, gonna to hide your posts. And, but I'm still going to stay your friend because I don't want to alienate the friendship. So I'm just going to hide your posts. We do that in a way, and it shows how easy it is to be a follower. 
Now that's why Jesus in this text clarifies the differences between what it is to be a follower and what it is to be a disciple. And at the outset, I want to kind of give a, a simple clarification, and I'm going to encourage you if you're taking notes to write this down and I'll, I'll repeat it, but this, this will lay the foundation for our understanding of this concept and then we're going to develop it out as we study. So let's define first what a follower is. Okay, a follower indicates strong interest, but not spiritual immersion. Strong interest, but not spiritual immersion. And it involves a softer, more flexible commitment that can be altered based on circumstances and comfort level. I'll say it again. A follower indicates strong interest, but not spiritual immersion. And it involves a softer, more flexible commitment that can be altered based on circumstances and comfort level. In other words, I'm interested, I'm involved, I'd like to be part of this, but, but I'm not all the way there, and based on what happens and how comfortable I feel, we'll kind of flex with that commitment. Okay, that's what a follower is. A disciple involves complete, deep-rooted spiritual conviction. A disciple has uh, complete, deep-rooted spiritual conviction. And this involves a full lifetime commitment. A full lifetime commitment that is not negotiable and becomes more ingrained over time. So a follower is interested, involved, somewhat, based on circumstances, comfort level, kind of see how it goes, but, but right now I'm committed, but I'm not committed all the way. A disciple says, no, I'm committed completely, fully, it's based on my conviction, and, and it's not negotiable, you're not going to change my mind, and, and the longer I go in this conviction, the more mature and the more committed I'm going to be. Now, as you look at those two definitions, or as you hear them, which one describes you? Maybe it's neither. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and say, I, I don't have any interest in Christ. I don't really know why I'm here. Somebody brought me, but, but I, I, I've resisted Jesus in my life. I'm fine on my own. I'm doing my own thing. And you're kind of standing this morning on the fringes of the crowd. You're wondering what to do. You're wondering what to believe about Jesus. And I want to encourage you right now with all the love I have in my heart, repent of your sin and trust him as your Savior. Turn your life over to him. He's offering to forgive you. He's offering to break the bondage of sin and the penalty of sin. He's offering to cleanse you and transform you and take you from sin and death to holiness and eternal life. And he is able to break that bondage and to free you from the death sentence that's on your life because of sin. He is willing to do that and you can do that right now where you sit. You can pray and say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I repent of my sin. I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to trust you as my Savior, and I'm asking you to cleanse and forgive me. And right now, right now, it's 10-16-07. Right now, your life can be changed for eternity. That's the grace of God. That's what we sang about all morning. The goodness and grace of God. Now, if you haven't rejected Jesus, then we come back to these two definitions. Which one are you? Are you a follower or are you a disciple? See, there were a lot of people in the crowd that were following Jesus. And, and at the start of the chapter, they really believe that they're committed to Jesus. But then he starts to define, what does it mean to be my disciple? And he starts to make difficult statements about what's required. And the people start to change their minds. 
See, our relationship with the Lord, whether it's nothing, whether it's partial, or whether it's full, determines everything. Everything that will happen in the next 168 hours of your life until, by God's grace, we gather next Sunday. Everything that will happen is driven by your level of conviction. If you reject Christ, then you'll live a certain way. If you're in it just a little bit, then you'll live a certain way. If you're in it 75%, you'll live 75%. If you're a disciple, everything's given to him. Everything's driven by him. Everything's to please him. Everything is to honor him. And that's true not just in this life, that's true for all eternity. So it's critical this morning that we understand just how deep our commitment is. And here's the thing, the enemy is going to do everything he can to deceive us and to build in us a false sense of security if he sees that we're not really living as disciples. Because he wants to fool us and trick us. But listen, he's not stronger than the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is working this morning to convict us and teach us and train us and stir our hearts and minds to be disciples in every sense of the word. So, so let's see in the text how Jesus defines this. Go back to the start of the chapter and let's kind of walk through what's going on here. The background to it. The text opens with two miracles. Miracle number one is the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus uses that to prove his authority and, and also to affirm his deity to the crowd. Because there are a lot of questions. Who is this guy? This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is this Mary and Joseph's son that comes up later in the, in the chapter. So, so they knew who he was, but all of a sudden he's saying, I'm from heaven and I'm God and, and you need to trust in me. And people are like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Stop the truck. Wait. What are you saying? So Jesus does this miracle to affirm his deity and to confirm what he's saying. And then the second miracle, which starts in verse 15, is the disciples are out on a boat. Jesus has been up in the mountain praying. And he comes to them and he walks on the water. And again, he's showing his power and authority. But now the confirmation is to the disciples because it's early on. And they're still trying to figure out, is this right? There's internal doubt and internal questions. Is he really who he says he was? A lot of people following him. We're kind of close to him. But, but is he really God? Is this really Messiah that we're dealing with? Are we that close to Messiah? So Jesus affirms to him his deity and his presence. Now by the time they get to Capernaum in verse 22, the disciples are convinced and the crowds are intrigued. So they walk along the shore and they come over to Capernaum to, to see him and hear him. And by this point, the, the, as he starts teaching, the crowd is starting to get polarized. The Jewish leaders are stirring people up and trying to question his claims. And the crowd is standing there having to decide, what do we really believe? Is this guy really Savior? Is this really the Lord? Is this really the Messiah? Because if so, that's going to require a different kind of commitment. And we'll touch on that in a moment. But first of all, let's look at what happens at the end and then we'll work our way back through. Okay? Chapter 6, start in verse 60 and we'll read down to verse 71. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. 
The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him from the Father. Here's the sad verse, verse 66. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, where whom should we go? You have words of eternal life. We've believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. Now he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now there are three statements that lead up to this. And Jesus sets up what's going to happen and calls people to decide about their commitment, which happens in verse 66. But, but leading up to that, he is, he is calling the crowd and teaching the crowd to examine whether they're followers or disciples. So we're going to just take this apart a little bit and touch on each one and develop it because it teaches us some things about the distinctions between the two. So start back in verse 26. In verse 26, Jesus says to them, right after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 and the, the walking on the water, which the people didn't see, but the disciples did. He says, many of you, verse 26, are only here because you experienced the miracle of the loaves and the fish. And you're intrigued by what you saw. You were sitting on the hillside, listen to me, everybody's stomachs were growling, nobody knew what to do, the disciples got some loaves and fish, I broke them, gave them out to everybody, there were baskets and baskets of leftovers, how could that be, 5,000 people being fed, and you guys saw that, and now you've talked to each other, and now you're really excited, like, what's he going to do next? In fact, if you look back at verse 2, it says that many of the people were there for the feeding of the 5,000, because they had seen him healing the sick, and they were kind of drawn to that. This is an example of following because of entertainment. Following because of entertainment. Now, I want to use that word carefully, carefully, and I don't want to define it by, by Hollywood standards, and I don't want to be too critical here, because I don't want to jade our protect, uh, perception. What I mean by entertainment is, is the intrigue and interest that people have because there's something fascinating and there's something unusual and it may benefit them, so they're drawn to it. And the text makes it very clear that many who followed Jesus, I use that word carefully, that followed Jesus were there because of that reason. We have to be careful in the American church, and this has really been a trend over the last 20 years, that, that we're not entertaining rather than presenting the Lord, rather than glorifying the Lord. Because when we try to draw people in by, by being flashy and by being clever and, and by doing things that the world does to entertain, when we do that, what are we going to get? We're going to get people that want to be entertained. We're going to get followers. We're not going to get disciples. We're not going to build disciples because all we're trying to do is keep everybody's attention. Well, well, that's not how a disciple is defined. A disciple has attention, wants attention, lives for the attention, to, to pay attention to the Lord. They're not, they're not spiritually ADD. They're not, well, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Squirrel. Oh, yeah. Oh, what? But that's, that's the danger in Christianity, of what we're developing in people. What's the next thing? 
What's the next trend? What's the next thing that we can do? I believe this is why prosperity theology has become so prominent. Because what's the next thing I'm going to get? What, what, what's going to happen now? And if I do this, if I say this, if I pray this, well then God's going to give, God's going to give. I think it's even why at its, at its most extreme point, the signs and wonders movement has become so popular. Because people are looking for something. They, they want to see some evidence that will intrigue them. Many people are still looking for what's unusual and what will benefit them. But when it comes to, to, to complete biblical theology and Jesus' definition of self-discipline and discipleship and self-denial, that's where the commitment starts to change. It's interesting, if you look back at the text, that after Jesus makes the statement in verse 26, the people say, well, well what can we do to gain God's approval? What works can we do, Jesus, so God will approve us? In other words, their thinking is still misguided. Their motives are wrong. And Jesus says, look, it's not about what you're doing. It's about you believing in me. But the people don't want to hear that. They still want to see signs. They still want to see something that will interest them and convince them that this might be right instead of simply trusting in Christ. Listen, if that's our motive for coming to church and being a Christian, then we're just followers. We're not disciples. If we're just looking for the next thing and what God's going to do to entertain us and intrigue us and show us something new, that, then that's about ourselves and not about the Lord. So problem number one, following because of entertainment. Problem number two, verse 40. Jesus here tries to affirm to the doubters that he has that he's been sent from heaven. He's proving that salvation comes from believing in him. And he's going to confirm that by rising from the grave after he's crucified. But a lot of people grumble about this. Well, who are you? And, and how could you possibly be from heaven? Come on, Jesus. We know you. You grew up in Nazareth. Joseph's your dad. Mary's your mom. We know your brothers and sisters. Who do you think you are saying that you're coming from heaven? See, they liked him when he seemed like one of their own. But when he starts to say, I'm different, God has sent me, I'm from heaven, and, and you need to trust me and understand me, now people are, are not interested because everything's changed. This is following because of personal fulfillment. First, there's following because of entertainment. You want to be intrigued and have something happen and something amazing is going on, so you'll stay committed. Now it's following because of personal fulfillment. If you look back at verse 34, he says, I'm the bread of heaven and I'll satisfy you forever. But their next statement is, always give that to us. Well, well you're the bread of heaven, we want that. Give us that, give us that, we, we need that. And he says, look, your forefathers got bread from heaven. You remember that when they were walking through the wilderness and every day God would rain manna down on them and they'd pick it up and they'd eat and it was sweet and wonderful and it kept them fed when there was no food. But, but what did they do? Did they praise the Lord every day and say, God, thank you for the manna. Thank you for sustaining us. Give us our daily bread. Lord, we're so grateful that you answer that prayer every day. Is that what they did? What happened after a time? We're sick of manna. 
we're tired of this. Oh, man, the same, the same bread every day. I'm so tired of walking out and picking up bread off the ground. It tastes like honey. Yeah, 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 I'm tired of it. Anybody got any butter or, or some jelly or cinnamon or something? Because you know what? I'm sick of manna. Hey, God, um, thanks for the bread and all that, but now we want some meat. Now, now uh, come on, we're, we need a little protein here. We're tired of the carbs. Can you give us something else? That's a picture of how people view following Christ. I'll do it as long as it feels good to me. I'll do it as long as I'm getting. But, but if it starts to be unpleasant or it starts to be kind of boring and I'm tired of being faithful and I'm tired of walking with the Lord and I'm tired of having people criticize me, you know what, I'm kind of weary of all of it. The Bible says don't be weary in well-doing, but that's the temptation, right? I'm weary. I'm tired of spiritual warfare. I'm tired of, I'm tired of having to, 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 to walk with the Lord. I don't know. I don't want to do it anymore. You know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of the manna. I want a new bread from heaven. I want new meat. And, and, and we want the Lord to keep it fresh and give us some good options. And let us steer for a while. When we need your help, Lord, we'll come to you. But for right now, let me drive. And don't put a lot of expectation on me. But they don't really want to pray. They don't really want to wait on the Lord. And when things become difficult, they're quick to doubt and quick to falter when their faith is stretched. Now you, you may be sitting there saying, ouch, that's a little close to home. Yeah, for, for all of us it is. And if so, we need to examine ourselves and say, Lord, why am I only following? Why am I not fully committed to this? Why am I not a disciple? Why am I not willing to yield myself? Lord, what, what's standing in the way? What's the obstacle? What's the priority that I have right now that, that I'm making more important than you? I will guarantee you as I stand before you this morning that that obstacle is about you and about me. The obstacle is not becoming more holy. The obstacle is not to be a better witness or a better student of the word or somebody that spends more time in the presence of the Lord. The obstacles that God is going to reveal to us will always be about our self-fulfillment. So when we follow because we're looking for something from God, when we pray because we only want God to give, when we obey with ulterior motive, well, God, look at me now. I'm really obedient, so come on, bring it back a little bit. We start to crave manna and meat and everything else, but we're not craving the Lord. So there's following because of entertainment. There's following because of personal fulfillment. Look at the third thing Jesus says in verse 53. And this is confusing and difficult, so just hang with it. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Now, that's a very weird statement that kind of sounds gross and strange. But Jesus is not talking about literal consumption of his flesh and blood. He is talking spiritually here. This is a metaphor for what he's going to do on the cross when his body is going to be broken and given for us as the sacrifice and payment for sin and then his blood is going to be poured out as the propitiation, as the payment, as the exoneration of sin so we're bought from sin and turned into life. 
So he's speaking spiritually here of acceptance of his sacrifice for sin that he gave his body and his blood to cleanse us forever. So what he's saying, look back at verse 53. What he's saying here is, is a strong picture of salvation. That unless we're willing to confess our sin, unless we're willing to denounce our sin, unless we're willing to reject our life of sin and our life of self, and surrender ourselves by faith so that he is our Savior and our Lord. Unless we do that, we cannot be saved. The spiritual transaction he came to offer will not be fulfilled unless we admit that we are worthless and hopeless and must have his grace to be saved. But look at what a lot of the people say when you go down to verse 60. Well, that's a really difficult statement. We don't like that. What do you mean we have to give ourselves completely to you? Do we have to surrender our lives? We just thought it would be cool to follow you because you're doing a lot of miracles and, and, and healing the sick and, and feeding us when we're hungry. That was really cool. Like there were a couple loaves and some fish and you broke them apart and everybody was full. That was cool. Do some more stuff, Jesus. Fulfill us, entertain us, show us more. We want, well, no, but that's not what it's all about. If you want to be my disciple, you have to surrender yourself completely to me. And you have to walk away from sin. And you have to trust me as your Savior. But, but that's difficult. How could you expect that complete of a sacrifice from us? This is the third type of following. Following because you think you're still going to have ownership. It doesn't work that way. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, your life is not your own. We have been bought with the price of Christ's precious, precious blood, and we have been transferred from ownership to slavery to ownership to freedom. The lie of the enemy is that if we don't trust Christ, we own our lives. That is the biggest lie that's ever been perpetuated. If you don't trust Christ, the devil owns your life. The devil owns it. That's why the devil tempted Jesus. That's why he said, listen, if you'll just bow down to me, it'll be great. Just bow down to me just for a second, and I'll give you all this. Jesus said, I already own it. I don't answer to you. I'm going to take people from you because right now they're all in your kingdom. And you know what I'm going to do, Satan? I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again and I'm going to buy those people from you. And when we're bought from the devil and Christ now owns us, we take his name, Christian. We are, we are, the, we are the children of God. As many as receive him to them gave the power to become, tell me, the sons of God even in them that believe on his name. So I don't own my life. If I reject Christ, it's not like I'm in the driver's seat. Nope, I'm still in the back seat watching the devil drive. When I give my life to Christ, my life is his, and he could make me a slave. He could make me a servant. He could say, you know what? You rejected me all your life, Rhodes, and I saved you, so now I own you, and I'm going to treat you like the slave that you are. He could do that. He doesn't. Remember when the prodigal comes back? 
I hope <laughs> I messed up. I'm, I'm going to come back to dad and I'm going to say, look, I don't deserve to be your son. Okay. I get it. I get it. My older brother's ticked off at me. <laughs> dad, I just, let me just live in that. Let me just be a slave. Okay. I'll serve you. What's the father do? He's standing there watching. Is he coming today? And the son starts to walk up. What's the dad do? Does he stand there and go, it's about time. You jerk. How dare you squander my fortune? How dare you divide this family? How dare you think you could show up at this house and act like I'm going to accept you? Is that what the dad does? He runs to him. And he hugs him. And he says, you're home. Our lives are bought. We are owned. And if we think we can follow Christ and still have ownership, we are sadly mistaken. He is our Lord. He is our master. And disciples aren't just interested parties who kind of follow along so they can get something or follow along as long as it's convenient or comfortable or follow along thinking, well, I can still be in control. You know what a disciple was in the first century? They left their home. They left their family. They learned from the master. They dress like the master. They talk like the master. They live like the master. Everything was about their master. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. That everything is about Jesus. There's no double ownership. There's no one hand on the wheel or Jesus, you sit in the passenger seat and you can have a wheel and a brake like driver's ed. It's not that. It's Lord, you are the one in control and I am going to trust you. That's what the Lord expects of his disciples. And a follower doesn't commit to that level. A follower keeps their distance. That's why Jesus says, look at verse 63. Let me try to finish up here. He says, you're going to have to change your beliefs. You're going to have to change your thinking spiritually from the material to the spiritual because the flesh, hear this, what a good verse for this week. The flesh profits nothing. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit who gives life. Now, that statement right there, and all he taught leading up to that, brought every single person who had been following him to a point of decision. Just as the Spirit of God is doing to us this morning, he's asking us, what level of commitment are you living by? Are we going to be people like some, like most that stayed in the crowd, near him but not committed, or, or, or are we going to are we just follow along because he's interesting and it's intriguing and what might God do in my life and hopefully it's not going to require much of me and, and, and I'll give it. Listen, we got to be very honest with ourselves this morning. Is that where we are? Or are we going to partake of eternal life and trust in him and pursue what's eternal and say, Lord, everything is yours. I surrender all to you. With all that I am, I'm yours. 
I don't want any part of, of my old life. I don't want to be who I was. I want to be yours. I want to live for you. I want to honor Christ. I want to model Christ. I want to talk about Christ. Everything is about Christ. Now, that's not a very PC message for the church, but that's the message Jesus gives us, and we can't hide from it. Every one of us has to make that decision. So let's finish. Look at verse 66. Look at what most did. As a result of this, in other words, going back 65 verses. As a result of this, many, I hate that word, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. It's interesting that the Spirit uses the word disciples there because those who had been there thought they were disciples. But when Jesus says, here's what's really required, you're saying, oh, I don't think so. And I think I'm reading the text right. Now it just comes back in verse 67 to the 12. The crowds that were engulfing him, the crowds that were making noise, the crowds that were following him, that walked all the way over to Capernaum when he got off the boat. Hey, Jesus! Ah! I mean, just the, the, the noise. And Jesus says, here's what it takes to be my, you want to be my disciple? Here's what it is. And everybody, that's the saddest thing I can think of. Everybody just kind of oh, slowly turns and kind of walks away. It takes a while because it's a big crowd. People kind of stand in there evaluating, am I, am I ready for that? I don't know. Boy, that seems pretty, that's, that's a lot. Honey, let's go. Come on. We'll, we'll talk about this at home. We'll, we'll decide this later. Kids, come on. But dad, no, come on. And all that's left, apparently, I, I think this is right for verse 67. All that's left is the 12. And Jesus says, you guys going to? What's it going to be? You want to go? Go now. And Peter, man, this is one of Peter's finest moments, right? He says, where are we going to go? Who are we going to follow? You have the words of eternal life. You're not getting rid of us. And Jesus says, all right. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. Peter, you spoke well. I, I hope that, that what, what Peter says there strengthens us and stirs our heart. Where else would we go? Where else are we going to find strength, security, confidence, eternal deliverance, eternal promises, God's presence, God's help, God's comfort? Where else are you going to go this week that's going to give you one billionth of that? What, what habit, what vice, what person, what relationship, what job, what location is going to give you that? None of it is available without Christ. And I wonder how many of us, and I'm asking myself the same question, how many of us would have said the same thing with the boldness and the confidence and, and the unashamed support that Peter had here to say, I'm not going anywhere. You're not getting rid of me. 
Is your spiritual life one step up and two steps back? Do you, do you keep kind of going forward and then regressing? And, and, and I don't, yeah, I want, oh, oh boy, that's really good. That stirred me this morning. But, you know, life. And, 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 and I want to be a disciple, but the cost is kind of high. And, boy, you're asking me to let go of that. I don't know if I can do that because that's so important to me. Is that, are, are we that kind of confused? Or is it constant progression, constant maturity, pressing forward for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, running the race well, not being distrayed, not being distracted, not being discouraged, not being disheartened, not listening to the lies of the enemy, just going forward every single day until we reach heaven. Which is it? We've got to evaluate that. God has called us to be faithful and to be his disciples. And when we do that, he gives us power, his presence, his security, and his strength. And I'm telling you right now, the Lord is ready. He is so ready to do a work in our lives, and he is so ready to do a work in this church. But we've got to get our hearts right with him. The people withdrew they walked away mumbling and when the crowd thins out Jesus says are you with me listen as we go along farther I don't know who's going to win this election at this point it's not really going to make much of a difference in terms of the spiritual climate of our country it'll make a difference in terms of politics don't get me wrong there are very important issues. But I don't see anybody going, we got to get back to the Lord. We, we got to get back to the Lord. So as we go forward, knowing biblical history, as we go forward, we're going to be more and more of the remnant. And God is going to say more and more, are you with me or not? Because it's going to get a lot harder. And I pray we will be faithful. Let's pray.